before we get started, I want to thank our friends at Kohler for supporting our podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Domino's new podcast, Design Time, where we explore spaces and places with meaning. I'm your host, Jessica Ron Perez, Domino's Editor-in-Chief. Each week, join me along with creative visionaries who will share their journey to designing spaces that move you. We'll explore the emotional side of design, from the ritual of gathering to a mood-boosting paint trick to the renovation tips that will inspire your next project. Home is the best place to start exploring personal style. How do you shape your world from the inside out? Let's discover now on Design Time. Sophia Rowe wants us all to have a conversation. By inspiring an open dialogue, she's bending the idea of what wellness means, pushing the boundaries of every industry she touches. Most recently, her new TV show, Counterspace, on Vice TV, weaves a narrative around where culture, food, community, sustainability, racial justice, and storytelling meet. Beyond cooking delicious, beautiful food, and lending focus to the impact on your health and well-being. Sophia is a spiritual powerhouse who wants to show you how to nourish and care for your soul, tapping into balance and what makes you really feel good, which extends to your home, your surroundings, and the items you choose to touch every day. She's bringing awareness to topics of food insecurity, welfare, shelter, and body positivity in a way that's approachable, empowering, and most importantly, inspires action. I'm so excited to share my conversation with Sophia with all of you. Hi, Sophia. How are you? I am happy. I am I am good. I love your energy. I feel like your energy is always so strong and so good. And I'm so happy to be talking and excited to hear about your new place. This is an interesting, uh, I, I don't think I've had a conversation about this yet. So this is very special. Where are you right now? I am sitting at my kitchen island in Bedsty, a really pretty block. I love it. I moved in December. I basically moved from one side of Broadway to the other side of Broadway. <laughs> Staying in the neighborhood. Oh yeah. There's no other neighborhood if you're me. This is it. I don't live anywhere else. What do you love about it? I mean, it's Bedsty. It just feels like I belong here. It's the quintessential black neighborhood. It feels like a neighborhood for, it feels safe here for me. I'd like to talk a little bit about even the experience of being in the neighborhood in the last year. I do think our neighborhoods are so integral in supporting us as well as our homes, but also the need for our community so much more than ever right now. I mean, I think that's a pillar of wellness. If you don't have community, then you don't have a very good circumference of wellness. You know, wellness is a really big umbrella and mine is pretty simple. I don't go super granular. I think it's just food, air, water, sunlight, movement, purpose, community. And I feel like if you have one of those things that isn't being watered or isn't being nourished, then your protocol is not complete. And I don't want to sound super clinical about it. Like, you know, bed is the second largest conglomerate of black people in the country, second only to the South side of Chicago. So the historical importance of this neighborhood, and this is one of the very, unfortunately, one of the few places where there are 
a large amount of black homeowners still, which is just horrible to even think. Not, and then not to say that there aren't black homeowners all over the country, but when you're looking at New York and you're looking at how expensive it is, it's uh, it's just a really, really special place. I and mean, some of these homes have been in people's lives for generations, which is really, really beautiful and special. What that means from generation to families to having that touchstone in their lives as their community, their homes, their families, and how that's changed too. You know, the price of the neighborhood, you know, um, certain people that aren't from here that have a certain amount of income come in. They, there's someone trying to sell their brownstone because they see, wow, I can get a lot of money for this. And then a white family comes in, they got it, they make it theirs. Then it's like, well, the things that they want move into the neighborhood, you know, and I don't know that Michelin star restaurants are like what this neighborhood actually wants. I always go back to this like idea of equity. Equality is this, everybody has the same thing, but equity is everybody having what they need. I think it's very interesting how- It's interesting. Yeah, that's how I frame it. It's, it's about giving people what they need. And I think it's really important when you're looking at a neighborhood to respect the people that live there and understand that they're different than you and perhaps put different things in priority. You know what I mean? And I don't pretend to know what anybody ever needs. So I think the number one most important thing you can do for any neighborhood, whether underserved or not, is ask the people who live there what they need. I do think the conversation around where New York's at right now, what our neighborhoods need, what we need, how do we support our businesses as active members of our community It's fascinating. And the twists and turns and the changes that New York goes through is what makes this city what it is. I mean, it's the best city in the world. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. Pre-pandemic, it was always like nice to leave, but just illuminating to come back. I've had that feeling since I first moved here and it never goes away. And I didn't leave during the pandemic, been here the whole time, you know, like through it all. Like this, this is still just the best city in the world to me. Sophie, I want to talk about, you just mentioned those pillars of wellness. When we met, I was, and I continue to be inspired by the conversation you're inspiring around food and the conversation you're inspiring around equity and equality as it relates to food and really bringing awareness to food scarcity. And I want to talk about the home because our home is such a pillar of our own wellness. And obviously that's a privilege not everyone has. I want to talk about how our homes have been supporting us and how you're really thinking about home right now as you've kind of moved into this new space. I do feel like you're embarking on a a new stage in your career right now. How you're thinking about all of that? Yeah, I mean I am. It's challenging, you know. I didn't I didn't grow up with much. So I I absolutely grew up in poverty and I absolutely know what it feels like to be hungry and I I emphasize that because we talk about food insecurity food scarcity, access to food, but we don't use the word hunger. And in reality, you actually have one in five children going to bed hungry. We treat hunger in this country like it's a temporary emergency, but this is just the way that it is. And I was a kid who experienced that. So to be a kid who experienced that and then to live in the house that I have now, I think some might assume it's like the easiest thing in the world, but I have imposter syndrome every single day when I wake up and I exist in my home. So I think that it's just an interesting perspective, but it's actually one a lot more common than we think. There is this sort of perpetual trauma. And so in, in many ways, it, it kind of seems strange, but it's almost like what makes us feel safe. Almost this idea of 
living paycheck to paycheck and being worried about bills and being worried about, we, we, we almost feel safer there. So if we do come out of that, but we sort of still live as if we don't have, which I feel like is really interesting to me. Like my bed is on the floor. I still don't have a bed. I've been in my home four months and I don't have a bed. I just got a couch. My house is extremely, extremely empty still. I'm really careful and mindful about what I put in. It's such a special thing to have space. Oh my gosh. I mean, I remember being in shelters with my mom as a kid, like this idea of space is just such a blessing. And I'd like to think that the pandemic has made all of us feel like that, but I kind of always felt like what a special thing to have space. So how is that making you think about this new space, which sounds really special? How are you thinking about what you want that space to feel like, how you want it to support you, how you want it to play into your overall well-being? I am a maximalist living in a minimalist world. Everything design right now, and for probably a long time, at least the past 10 years, is just so minimal, so minimal. And while I love space, like I love my space, the goal is not to keep it this way. I am like tchotchke heaven. I can't have enough doodads and candles and thingy thingies. And those are my favorite things. And I, I like, listen, no disrespect to minimalism, but I feel like a lot of it is all white. It's all brown. It doesn't feel like cozy or interesting or, or um, doesn't make me, I, I just feel like if we're going to go there, if we're going to go space age, let's go, let's go. <laughs> Now, if we're going to go Hollywood Regency, like let the regal Regency fly, let it fly. That's how I feel about it. And I like to mix everything up. So I'm the quintessential, even in my dress, there's no prints that don't belong together. It's just what immediately what my eye goes to. Iris Abfell's hero of mine, more is more. But I think that that just kind of plays into like being a kid and never being able to have fun. I just didn't have the access to it. And so now I feel so, wow, I have the space. I can't believe it. So now I'm very aware and mindful of what I'm trying to do. So it's not to rush. I take my time with everything, but I have a pretty clear maximalist idea in mind. Over the last year, I've really started spending more time on my skincare routine. Testing out new serums, moisturizers, and cleansers has become a ritual of self-care I feel really good about. I turn on some mellow music and enjoy the process. Kohler's Vidura Voice Lighted Mirror is a new level of convenience and luxury. With Amazon Alexa embedded in the mirror, I can control the shower, play music, pick the just right lighting for doing my hair and makeup, and my mood. Sometimes brighter in the morning, dimmer and more mellow in the evening, all you have to do is ask. A smarter routine and home that looks really good has never been so easy. Explore the possibilities for enhancing the spaces you love at Kohler.com slash smart home. How are you being intentional and thoughtful in the items you're bringing into your space? I'm all for taking your time. I totally agree with that. We touched a little on what that means to you, but how are you actually bringing that intentionality to the things you're bringing into your space? Deliberate is kind of like the theme. I don't just go on Cherish or go on Pomano and just like find a thing. No, I'll send a full email to this person like, hey, how's it going? I just moved. I'm a Jeff. Like, can you tell me a little bit more about this chair? 
<laughs> you know, and there was this one gentleman, he's like in his seventies, he lost his wife to coronavirus. There was like this beautiful forties machine age chair. And she was a set dresser in Palm Springs and he was selling off all the furniture because he couldn't afford to keep it. And so now I feel bad. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't want to buy this, but he like needs me to buy it. And so now we have a connection and we like are now email pen pals. So again, it's really just me. It's not just the deliberate, like I'm being deliberate about what's in my home, but it's also me really driving in elementally this idea of community. I want every piece to like have a story, even if it's just the funny story of this third party delivery guy driving all the way here from Idaho you know, when he gets here and he's freezing and I make him a coffee and we have a whole conversation and it turns out that his daughter goes to the same high school I went to. I'm just trying to pull the story out of every single piece I can because that's what gets me going. The design that inspires me most is human design, the mycelium of it all, like how we're all connected and how we all talk to each other, even when we don't realize it. Like, I think that's what's really sexy to me. And so having that be a part of my home is really important and also why it takes so long. You know, it takes long to have connections. It takes a long time, but I'm not, again, not rushing. And how would you advise people, let's say, because I do think your notion of wellness is touching on so many different parts of people's lives that is very personal, right? I think those things are so highly related. And I love what you're saying about building your own personal narrative or building your own story or collection of stories. I'm very inspired by that. I think it's so special. I think it's a mistake to think that we're not impacted by one another. And it's also strange because in this pandemic, it's been hard hitting, but I don't think that that has to mean the lack of connection like we think it does. Yeah. I mean, in a way, our our homes have become singular, but how do we flip that? You find a piece that you like, and then people are like, where did you get that piece? And I'm just... "Eh." I don't know. I think this goes with wardrobe. I think this goes with what type of tomato paste you're using. What kind of wine? Like what, (laughs) you know, like this, this exactement thing. We want thing to be exact. And I just, I don't think that's where the secret sauce is. I think what the uniqueness of it all is that you can see something that's really, really beautiful and have a shape maybe in mind or a pattern in mind. You can just have a feel in mind you know, and what you're looking out for might not be exactly what's on your Pinterest board or what's on your inspo board, but that's kind of what makes it so special because now it's really yours. Now you've got a really great story. I just, I just think like, don't be afraid to connect. Don't be afraid to buy on platforms where you're not buying new furniture. There's so much out there. And I think that the conversation around buying vintage, repurposing, rethinking that circle of life of generations and and handing things down and things being special. And I think that for now, that really resonates. And I think more people are understanding it. I think it's cool to like find a shape that you really like. And sometimes you find a you have a shape in mind and you give yourself a date. Like, okay, I am looking for this thing. This, I want this Carl Mamsten couch you know, and like, this is the shape I'm looking for. And I'll give myself five months. And if I don't find it in five months, then I'll just buy this one. I think that's how I kind of handle it. But you have to be committed to searching. You have to be committed to asking. If there's a boutique that you've bought a really cool lamp from, hey, you know, I'm looking for this specific thing. I'm looking for a Shiro Kuramata, but it's not a Shiro Kuramata because I don't have $18,000 for a Shiro Kuramata. (laughs) But like something like this, 
And a lot of times people are like, you know, I might not have it, but you know, this other vendor carries a lot of things like that. You just can't be afraid to connect when you're looking to furnish your home exactly how you want. And you make cool friends. Then it's like a cool vendor from Philly that you're like, oh, when we travel again, I can't wait to go to that store. Or then they're like, oh, you know what? When it's safe, like come visit our showroom. Maybe you find a whole another set of stuff that you weren't even looking for that can kind of just like blows your mind in a really cool way. There's this painter, Heather Day. I wasn't even looking for paintings and I just happened to come across her via a showroom. And I was like, whoa, I got to get one of these. You know, so I think that also comes with having a maximalist mindset, even if you're going for minimalism in your home, but just being like, yeah, I'll check it out. Eh, what's the worst that could happen? Like worst that could happen is like, it, they don't have what you are looking for, but man, now you've got a really cool showroom connection. At the very least, you have a showroom connection and maybe at the most you have a new friend, which is pretty, I think that's great. It sounds like moving into this new place has kind of ignited this interest in you and thinking about where our stuff comes from, building a network that's even bigger, you know, thinking about all of that. Before my show came out, I was like, I feel like I've been, I've been working my whole life for the show, you know, cause I've always been sort of fascinated about where food comes from because simply from the fact that I always thought it was insane at school, how some kids had things and I didn't. I'm like, oh, what's that like? Why, why is that? You know, why are there some kids that have things and other kids don't, you know, where do things actually come from? I'm speaking within food edible terms because that's just my trade. Um, but it, it, I mean, wow, clothes, textiles, I mean, furniture, anything you can imagine, anything that is manufactured or made are elements of them that are coming from all over the place. I'm not saying that we need to obsess over it because there is this sort of woke Olympics that I don't feel like is healthy, right? Like, listen, everybody's doing the best that they can, when they can, how they can. But I do think it's an interesting conversation. And I think that as consumers, we should aim to be and look to be informed and just look to, ah, ask questions, right? Hold manufacturers accountable. I don't remember asking grocery stores to carry 300% more than they need just to make the displays look beautiful. So maybe don't do that because then maybe we won't have the amount of food waste that, that we have when we're talking about the grocery store. So there are so many things that are happening that aren't at the consumer level, but if we're aware of them, then we can hold companies accountable at the manufacturing level. And so I'm really kind of like intense in that. I'm not saying everybody should be, but I do think it's something to think about when you're buying things. I think if people with a platform can do whatever they can to educate and bring people, change their behavior or, or help educate them on behaviors, just getting better. And it's not like everyone needs to change overnight. It is like a marathon. It is a changing thing. And I, I think that your message and the show, also the idea that you're leading people, but you're not like hitting them over the head with it. I'm not telling you what to do or not do. Let's just try to look at this big picture, right? Like we, we're big on making just sweeping statements. If the whole world went vegan, everything would be fine. Mm, I don't know. Look at the industries here. Look at the things put in place, right? Is the answer every, almond milk? I don't, I don't, mm, that's a whole new set of issues. And I, I think it's one thing that it's fun to go granular, but we have to be able to come out big picture. I don't want anybody thinking I feel 
any type of way about anything. I just want you to see all the different puzzles and all the different pieces and you make the best decision for yourself, you know, while also understanding what the collective is going through. It is personal. It's your decision. I mean, listen, it's all personal. And we all, as, as sort of like singular integers, right? As people, we all have our things. Wellness is something we can, we should all have access to, regardless of like skinniness or affording Lululemon or like all the things, you know, it's just, it, I don't look at it like that. I think the conversation around wellness, it's being flipped. It's not yoga pants. It's not face oil and, you know, all of that. But how do we prioritize wellness in our spaces? What does that mean within your home? I just really think we need to start tapping into ourselves a little bit more. I think that there's a lot of internal conversation because there's social media and what this person's doing and what that blogger's doing. And I just feel like a lot of times where we really just need to take a step back, write a what brings us joy list. It's so interesting how tapped in we are to like the things that piss us off. We know exactly what we don't want. We know exactly what we don't like. I mean, when I was a private chef, I used to have this 50 question questionnaire. How do you feel about mustard? How do you feel about pickles? How do you feel about mushrooms? You know, and the answers, oh, people, I love mushrooms. And then I'd be like, okay, well, when do you like mushrooms? If you like a stuffed mushroom, I don't know if you really like mushrooms. You know, that's <laughs> like, uh, you know what I mean? If you like pickles, what, you like pickles at a ball game or like, or are you eating like a jar of pickles every day? What's your level here? I just feel like we need to be a lot more tapped into what we actually like. And this idea of like making time for it, it's interesting. We will make time for any work, Zoom thing, doctor's appointment, all the things. But we won't give ourselves 15-minute block on our calendar to sit down and eat. And I also think we make this idea of wellness way bigger than it is. Wellness can just be sitting down to eat. It can be literally making yourself your own dinner or it can be getting yourself some takeout. That can also be wellness. This idea of wellness being like not having two glasses of wine, if that brings you joy and that makes you feel good, as long as you're not doing something to the point to where it is creating consequences in your life, I don't understand why it's a problem. And I think that that's what I always go back to. And so, so is it okay to have two glasses of wine every night? Like, I don't know. How do you feel about that? Is it affecting your work? Is this an addiction conversation or are you just saying like it's pandemic and like, I'm just enjoying it right now, right? Like those are things you need to ask yourself. I do think it comes back to that conversation of happiness, joy, doing those things that make you feel good. I think the conversation of feeling good is also really interesting. And our spaces can also evoke emotions, right? Of course. I mean, like I said, all my little doodads and thing things, they all come from somewhere. I look at them and I'm reminded of a time in my life. Or, I mean, even for me, the open space, I am reminded every single day when I look at it, like, I, I can't believe I have this. I worked so hard for it. I still don't even understand how it's here and I have it. And so even just the feeling of, of waking up in my bedroom is like, oh my gosh, like I opened my door. I mean, it's crazy. My house is insane. I can't believe it. <laughs> I mean, even I remember coming to see my house and thinking, this is a long shot. I'll go do it though, right? Like I'll see. And of course, pays to connect, pays to be chatty. I'm talking to the broker, me and Wendy, and I'm talking to her about food and other people would look to see the house, but her and I really connected. And she's like, I am rooting for you. And I firmly believe I would not have gotten this house if it wasn't for 
me just being open and happy and friendly and her being open and happy and friendly. And I just think it pays to really dignify your dreams, right? We're so diligent in our discipline. I've worked so hard, but do I dignify my dreams with like actually believing that I can accomplish something? I like to think that my space is a reflection of that. Like, okay, self, you believe that you can do this. This is the vibe. This is what we're doing. You know, that's why it's colorful and hopeful. I'm always aiming for color and texture and life. That's what's important to me in ever, like psychologically, biologically. It's like excitement is important to me. So I want my space to reflect that. What colors do that for you? Anything bright. I think it's more of the tone. I think it's, I think it's that because I, I love green. I love blue. I never, ever could have believed that I'd have a pink couch, but I do. I have just this beautiful Carl Malmsten couch that I just think is absolutely stunning. And it is, it happens to be pink. How did you find the couch? I just need to know. It was on Cherish. And I was like, it's a little out of my price range. So I'm going to, I'm going to give myself this, this 90 day period. And after 90 days, I still didn't find it. So I just connected with this guy and I said, listen, I got to get this couch. It's just a little on my price range. We start talking couches in London, shipping. So he's like, if you want to handle shipping yourself, then we'll make the couch $2,000 less. So I handled the shipping myself. Now I've got this great friend. He helped me find this beautiful lamp that I'd been just looking everywhere for also. And so it just worked out. I want to be very mindful too. There's no altruism here. I am genuinely just interested in people. I just am. And I think that comes from the fact that no one was really interested in me as a kid. I can think of so many times that I went to school in the same outfit for a week and I don't remember one teacher saying anything about it. And so I just pay attention, walk down the street and pay attention. You will see so many things. You will see an old man or an old woman trying to get down the subway stairs, a mother with a stroller trying to get up the subway stairs. You'll see just stuff everywhere if you're paying attention. So I think that for me, it just really goes into genuinely being curious about other people. If someone's like, Soph, what's the key to success? It's being genuine. And I think that goes for design as well. Don't worry about what other people are doing. You really sort of tap into what feels good to you. You're going to feel so good in your space. And ultimately, you're the person who has to live in your space, just like you have to live in your body. How did you get in touch with that genuine side? How did you work on getting truly in touch with that? I don't know if it's maybe just me, but I just felt like as a, you know, I used to have a lot of shame about where I grew up and how I grew up. And I used to like lie a lot about it and just kind of pretend it didn't exist. And I think it was interesting once I started really just being honest about myself and honest about what my life looked like, I really started to notice like things happening. Like I, I, I know that sounds ridiculous, but our only true human responsibility is to be honest. We don't have to even be kind people, really. We just have to be who we are. I think that's, the, that's your only true responsibility. Be genuine, whatever that means for you. And I feel like when you are really living in that genuine energy, you get ancestral support. You get self-support because you're like, this is it. It's no pressure because this is me. <laughs> Take it or leave it. I also think you start to really care less about like anyone that it feels weird about me because I grew up a foster care kid ain't my people. Anyone who's comes into my home and is like, ugh, 
pattern mixing, you're not welcome. (laughs) Don't come back. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like that. And then before you know it, you really carve out this interesting, cool collective of people. And so I feel like that, hopefully that comes across to people in terms of learning how to tap into that, really just like accepting yourself. And as I got older, that, that got a lot easier. How do you like your kitchen to feel? You spend so much time in that space and such an important spot for you. What feels good when you're in the kitchen? I have incredible opinions about the kitchen. It needs to be efficient. I've worked in so many kitchens being a private chef. I need space. There's got to be counter space. I don't care if there's no dishwasher. Like I'm, I'm old school. Like I've had no dishwasher most of my life, so it's fine. But I'm big on space, efficiency. I've worked in these big, huge kitchens and the garbage is all the way across the kitchen. I cook in my kitchen. So I need my, I need a place for, for my garbage and my compost, like central to where I'm working. So that's very, very important. My kitchen islands have wheels. I like to be able to move them around. A lot of that is for like content production kind of purposes, depending on where the light is. But also I like to work in different areas of my kitchen. (laughs) That sounds silly, but sometimes I just want to be somewhere else. And so having a kitchen island with wheels is really nice. I just like a kitchen that's used, that's lived in. I don't like all that perfect stuff. I want a kitchen to be like super lived in. I went from a very small kitchen to my kitchen is much larger now. And, uh, you know, I'm not super messy, but I think that's because it's just my trade. You know, I've had a lot of practice in keeping it very tight. But even if it does get messy, if it's efficient, if you keep things efficient, utilize wall space, even utilize your ceiling. There are so many different interesting things that you can do to really get the most out of your space. How are you making that space function more efficiently? So my, my house is railroad, which is interesting because, you know, we're always battling for light in that, you know, in that kind of space. You're always like looking for, okay, where can I build out light? What can I do here? I know that for me, or maybe for most people, when they're looking at a space, what starts to happen is everything starts to kind of cling to the wall, right? You get the couch, you put it up against the wall. You get the table, you put it up against the wall. You put the pedestal, you put it up against the wall. So I'm always just thinking about little like work areas, what am I going to do in the front portion of my garden entrance? You know, like what, what is a functional thing? Am I going to sit there and read? Okay, that's great. I'll sit there and read. So I'll put a table and I'll put a little chair. Maybe I'll put a lamp behind that. Great. Now, next portion of the house. What do I do down here most? Oh my gosh, me and my assistant, we work. So maybe this is a beautiful place for a big, beautiful, gorgeous, white oval table. White because it's going to hit beautiful light, right? Because I've got wood floors and we're looking for light here. So white's going to just brighten up the room so much. Why in the world does a big room have to be for a couch? Why does a big room have to mean a big coffee table? I don't have a big couch or a coffee table, but we got a big, beautiful work table that I think is gorgeous. So I think it's like, what do you do in your house? Do you play the piano? Where do you see yourself playing the piano? Do you have a lot of plants? Plants probably means light, windows. You don't want to block out your light. What can we do here? I don't know. I just think it's, uh, we need to sort of take stock in your needs, how much you're home and what you do when you're at home. And also for all of us who have spent that time at home, walking through your space and like actually challenging that. Oh, actually, I'm spending so much time doing this. So let me give a little priority or of space to this thing and flipping it. 
you know, if, if, if you have this couch and then you notice that after a week, your couch is basically a table, you use it to throw laundry on it and you're putting the books on it. You're throwing stuff. You need a table. And you need a table, boo. You need a table. <laughs> so I think it's also like, how are you actually using the space? And I think let yourself make mistakes. Oh my gosh, I've gotten beautiful pieces of furniture that I'm like, it's not right. It doesn't work. And it's a pain in the butt, but then we put, we go on Kayo and then, you know, we sell it. Someone they pick it up and they clean it for you. And then you sell it to someone who enjoys it. But again, with the community element, right? Like it's, I love these chairs so much. They're so beautiful. I wish they would have worked in my home. Unfortunately, they are the exact same color as my floor and dark in the room. And I really needed light space. I hope that whoever enjoys these, hope they find great light for you wherever you're at. Don't look at it from like a furniture. Well, I love that. That's great. But I'm, I'm in food and I think that's design. Even wellness, it's all design. Everything is design, human design, you know? So I, I look at the word design really big. It's a big word. I mean, it is all design. All of those things are so closely tied together. And ultimately, wellness is the same. It's all connected. I just don't look at things in sort of classical sense. Like I didn't go to school for design. I just know what I like and I know what feels really, really nice because I know myself. You know, like if you know yourself, then there's no reason why you can't create a space that feels really, really, really beautiful for you. What are a few more of those kind of more recent discoveries in this process of getting in touch with with what you want your space to feel like and embracing pattern, embracing things you love to wear as it relates to what you want to put in your space? But what are some of your more recent discoveries? There's this woman named Pia Manu. She does these gorgeous, like natural stone, beautiful coffee tables. And then there's Barbora. She's Lithuanian. She's really uh, one of the one of the designers on, on Adorno Design, actually. And she makes this literal footstool, and it is shaped, and it's like this bent sort of blue bench. And it, it's funny that it's a footstool because it's shaped like a foot. And uh, it's just kind of a funny piece that just makes me smile every time I see it. But then a lot of times I go back to like classical things that we don't think about when we think about furnishing our home, like Layla Gohar. She's like a food artist. That's one of my favorites. Or, or my friend Robin, who's a florist. I mean, florals and shapes and dried flowers and sticks and twigs and all of that stuff is really a huge part of what my eye likes. And you can see that in the way that I dress with lots of patterns. And who says you can't wear floral and checkerboard and a pillbox hat and Levi's and purple socks? Like, that makes sense if you're me. In challenging times, we lean on the things that support us, uplift us, and make us happy. In this signature franchise, Domino editors ask our guests quickfire style about the 10 things that are making them happy from the books that inspire them to the personal items that tell their story to the places they love to eat travel and feed their soul I want to talk about the things that make you happy because it's always interesting to think about the things that support us or that are providing you inspiration and empowering and fueling your work right now favorite color and color pairing purple and green my favorite colors. They never go together. People think they're weird colors that go together. I think they're beautiful. No matter what tone, no matter where we're at, I love purple and green. Purple always gets disrespected. It's just disco for life over here. I love it. 
We talked a lot about materials and textures. What are you feeling? I'm really into the Katerina uh, Moretti. She does these volcanic rock. They're like black, but they have like speckles of pink and purple, these crazy pedestal stools and tape. I'm obsessed. Anything rock, concrete, those sorts of textures go really well with color, right? Because they're sort of so neutral. They're so earth-based. That's really kind of interesting to me right now. The permanence of it too. It can be that, but then also I like the yin and yang of it all. I like hard, hard, hard with light, light, light. I like very, very serious. And then we're just going to throw some poppies on it. (laughs) I like the, the delicateness of like a single poppy coming out of a volcanic rock vase. I think that's also says a lot about survival and what it is to be someone who can still be beautiful, even if you came from something really rough. So I like that story a lot of it. What plant do you love or what plants do you bring into your space? I have basically every kind of plant you could possibly imagine. I have a massive olive tree that is just thriving that I'm very proud of. I mean, she's huge. She's like 10 feet tall, which I love. But my favorite thing in the world, and this is probably not going to shock anyone nor surprise anyone, is actually not the plant kingdom at all. I love fungus. So I have, as we speak, I have about 15 fungus grow boxes right now. I love fungus mulls and spores and yeasts. And I understand that sounds absolutely bizarre, but they can teach us so much about life. I'm from Florida originally, and there's plenty of humidity, perfect breeding ground for really great fungus. And I just remember being a kid and I'm running around and just seeing weird mushrooms and seeing weird things. And I just, I don't know, fungus and mold, they are proof that life exists after death. And I think that's really unique and special. I basically have a whole mushroom farm in my house and I love it. How do you unwind? How are you unwinding? How are you turning off? Do you turn off? What does that look like for you? Yeah, I mean, I certainly do. Definitely a, a few glasses of Beaujolais every night, like a little Nouveau, little same year, 2020 stuff. Love that. Very stereotypical of me to be all about the organic wine. I read a lot. Right now I'm reading Soul on Ice by Eldridge Cleaver, which is a just a really, whew, it's a heavy read. Um, it's a, you know, he's a Black Panther minister. Um, and he's a, actually a former candidate uh, for the president of the United States, which is unbelievable. But he writes about things that shaped and mold, molded his life. And the book is written while he's in uh, California's Folsom State Prison. And uh, it's just a, a really gorgeous, gorgeous testimony. So that's what I'm reading. I read a lot. I'm famous for reading a book a day sometimes. Uh, I'm big on like Sundays getting off social. Social media is a hard place to exist. And it's really hard when you talk about the things I talk about in other ways. So I have to really double down on the joy. Everyone needs to do that. But if you are a black or brown or any kind of POC marginalized person, it is, it is a absolute must. Is there a film that you're, or a TV show or something that's providing inspiration? I watch Anti-Mame probably once a week. When I was a kid, I saw this movie and it was the first time that I ever like had a crush on someone. Like, and obviously it's so non-sexual because I was just a kid, but I just remember thinking, wow, she is wearing whatever she wants. She keeps redecorating her house and like one minute it's one thing and the next minute it's another. Just living her life. You can't tell Auntie Mame shit. And I just love it. As for like TV shows, uh, you know, 
that's a time thing. I feel I'm, I'm almost embarrassed to admit that I'm just now watching Euphoria. It is gorgeous, but it's absolutely, absolutely stunning, 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 stunning. Beautiful, beautiful show. What's the first place you think you might travel to or you want to travel to once you can? I would like to go to Japan. My grandmother was Japanese and uh, I can't wait to have Kaiseki at, like, at Nakamura in Kyoto or have some you know, miso shin, like some, some ramen and gyon. I can't wait for that. And it's also like just culturally, I am a black woman. I, I walk down the street. I am a black woman. I identify as a black woman, but I am intersectionally raced. So I am not biracial. I am triracial. So there's a lot going on. So sort of just a really cool way to sort also connect with my ancestry in that way too. I'm very excited about that. Also, I would love to go to Lisbon. I, I lived there for a month years ago, uh, 2016, and I love everything about it. And there's a restaurant there called Romero that is like the most like touristy. I mean, it's almost impossible to get in, but it's like very touristy. If, if you have to have that experience of just eating there, it's amazing. And I just can't wait to have it again. Iconic space that continues to inspire you or you think about a space that has that energy. What comes to mind? The only thing, the only answer for that is the subway. I get to see, experience it as often as I want goes through so many ebbs and flows. Every kind of person and every kind of life, the subway has experienced it. It is, it is, it is the, the veins and the arteries of the city. And I mean, I think it's just remarkable. People are like, it stinks, it's smelly, it never's on time. And like, so am I. <laughs> so am I, you know, like, I don't know. I just think there's this like humanness and this imperfectness. It's our trusty steed, right? I also feel like on a packed subway car, it's the one time in life where a bunch of strangers all can agree on one thing, that we just want this thing to get us to where we need to go. And so I think it has this just iconic beauty to it and that when we're on it, we're all like fans of that concept together. Like just get <laughs> Please, dear God, just get from Marcy J. Okay, to the city, please, Delancey, please. I just love it. I think it is just the most iconic thing about New York. Sophia, thank you so much. You are so welcome. I love what you're doing, the message you're putting out there. And I really think you're inspiring people to think about their own health and wellness, their spaces, their food, how it relates to their community, how they can change, actually, in really interesting ways. I mean, thank you. Thank you. Such high grades. Thank you. Thank you. Design Time is produced by Team Domino with special thanks to Alex Redgrave, Linda Denahan, Aaron Cunningham, Madeline Montoya, Erica Maltz, Kay Wang, Britt Ashcroft, and Ali Elquiza. Our theme music is by the talented Alex Weinstein. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. See you guys next week right here on Design Time.